Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Eliza Pressman, and today is a fun episode with the co-founder of Dear Media, the producer of Raising Good Humans podcast, Michael Bostic, and his partner and wife, Lauren Evert. They have a podcast, the Skinny Confidential His and Hers podcast. And Dear Media was founded with the premise of having female-focused podcasters. So that's pretty cool. Um, But that's not what we're talking about today. Michael and Lauren had a baby in January 2020. So they've done this whole ride in this wild year. And we're talking about emerging parenthood and the birth of becoming parents, not just what's going on with the baby, but what happens with the development of parenthood. If you like this episode, please write a little review, give it a good rating. If you didn't, DM me privately and you can give me feedback and I would love to hear from you. And as always, please send me messages and questions on DM. I'll keep doing more Q&As and I hope you enjoy this. So in developmental research, there's three parenting styles that are that you typically see across all cultures, apart from neglect, which obviously we're not talking about that on a parenting podcast. But um, so one is called authoritarian, and it's when you are super strict and you have really high expectations and sort of almost fear-based parenting. But in terms of emotional sensitivity, you're not there. And so then the other side of it is permissive parenting, where it's like a free-for-all, best friend parenting, super sensitive to your child's emotional needs, not a lot of boundaries, not a lot of limit setting. And then in this middle spot, when you combine you guys, is called authoritative parenting. And it's when you have sensitive, warm, nurturing, and also very clear expectations and boundaries. And that sort of combination allows kids to kind of grow in a way that they can be their emotional selves, but also they're going to do something. They're going to be able to, you know, sleep through the night if we're talking about babies or have a job, <laughs> whatever whatever the the example is. And so it sounds like you know, usually you kind of copy a little bit about the parent, the, a little bit of the parenting that you experienced. So did you have more 
kind of permissive, open parents or were they? It's funny because I think I married my mother (laughs) (laughs) and he thinks he married his father. Like that is the personalities. Personality wise. Um, Yeah. Yeah. My mother was definitely more strict, more about time, more about um, structure, whereas my father was definitely more like me. But you want to hear the more, the interesting thing is like, I do agree with that, but also I think that as I've gotten older, maybe I'm more like my mother. And as she's gotten older, maybe she's more like her father, which is uh, a weird dynamic. And I and I think like selfishly, I talk about this on our podcast. The reason I like the schedule, well, first, I think we should preface Lauren and I, when we had the baby, we were both working full time. I was doing Dear Media. And she no, was I'm like, actually glad you said that because the, the, that is why I asked that question is you're, yeah. you're both full time working full-time, parents. Full time. Like after like, we had the baby in January and I went back to work two weeks. And uh, fortunately, COVID, and if there is, any I went light, back to work when I was actually pushing. I was getting. <laughs> Texas. <laughs> but um, when, while I was in labor, <laughs> when COVID hit, you know, I, I went straight back to work two weeks running Dear Media and then COVID hit and I was like, oh, I have to kind of go back to the house. And I'm actually really happy if there isn't a silver lining because yeah. I've got to spend so much time. But the reason, we, you know, we had a night nurse in the beginning because we were both full time and had, we have no family in LA. It was just us two. And she helped us put the baby on a sleep schedule mm-hmm. and find times to eat and just really taught us things. We had no clue what we were doing at all. Like both were not baby people before. And selfishly, I like the schedule because I know if I follow the schedule, it gives me the most time with the child because if she's all over the place and sleeping when I'm mm-hmm. working, when I'm not, then both of us don't get a spend. So like I look at it now, like I know when she's up, when she's sleeping, when she's eating and I get to maximize the time with her. Yeah. Um, and so but, we just kind of fell into this schedule. But at the same time, like last night, it was nine o'clock and she was still up and that's not her schedule. She's supposed to be in bed at 7.30. But I'm the type of person that's adaptable to that. She, what, she didn't want to go to sleep. She didn't feel good. She's teething. So I brought her in my room. I turned on the salt rock lamp. I put like red light for her, meditation music. And I think six months ago, he would have been like, we can't do this. We can't this is, and now he's sort of adapted to the fact that not everything is going to be on time all the time. There's going to be different circumstances. Mm-hmm. You have to be more malleable. So it together, it's it's coming together nicely. I do think that it's like definitely a learning experience for both of us, though, like he said. And so wait, so six months. So you've actually fully been COVID parents. The whole time. The entire. COVID parents. She was born wild. January 26th. So what do we get? Like a month you or You got two? a month. I think for baby babies, they they were living their best life. <laughs> like I there mean, couldn't this, be anything better for a newborn. She has no idea newborn. what's going on. Right. I think even during pregnancy, I started to think like this. But then certainly after I had my first baby, I was like, oh, I'm not the protagonist of the story anymore. Like I'm the mom of the, I'm the mom of the hero. And it was like, how do I feel about that? That was like a big jump to just your identity shifts, even if you don't feel like that's your, your story. identity shifts. That's such, I've never heard someone explain it like that. That's a very, very profound thing to say. It does shift, it changes. And, think, and it takes months to come to terms with that. So it, you can't like just get there, like you were saying. And just turn it off. And, and also, off. like, let's talk about something that no one wants to talk about, which is weight gain. Yeah. You can simultaneously be so happy and grateful that you have a beautiful, healthy baby, but also feel shitty about weight gain. Yeah. It, I don't get this place that we're in where you can't say it sucks to gain weight. I gained 55 pounds when I was pregnant. And afterwards, you're, you think you're just like, you know, you hear celebrities say like, I was breastfeeding and then I was running after my kid and I walked out of the hospital in my jeans. And 
that didn't happen. Yeah, and that's not I true. started to <laughs> sort of talk about that and realize there's women everywhere that that have felt the same way. It doesn't just fall off. It's something you have to work at. So now, not only are you dealing with your identity, but that is part of your identity. Right, you're dealing with another element of it, and then you're dealing with the anxiety, and then you're dealing with just a lot of pressure. And for me, I looked at it like I'm pr- I'm very lucky. Like I have a night nurse. I have my husband helping me. What is wrong? Like what is wrong with me yeah. that I can't get over this? And so I think that just sharing this and putting it out there to women to know that, you know, there's all kinds of different emotions and it's okay to have simultaneously all of them. Yeah. I mean, that's such an important lesson as a parent, too, for your kids to know that there are going to be a range of emotions that you can have mixed feelings about things. And I think to your point, there are things that you feel like this is not profound enough, like it's not a big enough thing. So I'm, I I shouldn't, you know, there's a lot of shame as a mom if you're worrying about something superficial or, you know, it, it feels like, okay, I shouldn't worry about that. I should be grateful for this beautiful creature. I should, you know— Things are things are good, and then there can be that feeling of like I don't want to be focused on this thing of weight gain or whatever it is. And you're allowed, you're entitled to have all of those feelings, but it's not really talked about because if you do talk about it, there's usually judgment that surrounds that. I really want to pull like I, I I'm going to continue to keep talking about it because I do think it's something that is not talked about enough. You're just supposed to sit there and smile and, you know, be grateful. And there's other elements that are happening with the body. And it's also, it's every single facet of your body. It's your nipples. It's your vagina. It's your, like, if you get a C-section, it's even the bottoms of your feet. Like, the bottoms of my feet. I mean, I had a rash from the epidural all down my back. Like, it's just a lot of wear and tear. And I think for me, I went into pregnancy not like thinking about it. Like I, I never thought, oh, when I'm pregnant and read all the books and did all the research, I just went into it and was like, I'm just going to follow my intuition and see what happens. Mm -hmm. It was very like, kind of like falling into something. So I never really knew all of these things. And maybe that's my own fault. I should have researched it more, but it's just every single facet of your body feels worn. I didn't feel like that. And I think that it's, it's a conversation that's separate from how happy you yeah, might be it's from like it's separate conversation. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Go to oseamalibu.com, O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com slash raising good humans for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more plus free shipping for U.S. orders over $75 and free samples with every order. It's pronounced Osea. Osea puts your health and the health of our planet first with potent skin and body care solutions that are pure, safe, and effective. Their skin nourishing products are made entirely of plant-derived ingredients, are non-toxic, and a good choice for moms-to-be. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. And their entire line is built on these four pillars and pulls from botanical sources around the world to create products that are truly effective. Osea can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions. And every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, 
cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. There are personal skin consultations, customized facials, and in-house expert estheticians so you can speak with an OSEA specialist about the best products for you and your long-term skin health. What is Peanut? Well, it's an app that connects you with like-minded women throughout all stages of motherhood. Peanut provides a safe space for mothers, expectant mothers, and those trying to conceive, to build friendships, ask questions, and find support. Introducing you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in life, Peanut provides access to a community of women who are there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice, whether it's understanding IVF, adoption, pregnancy, first years, or nursery and beyond. Peanut is a place to connect with women like you. Have you struggled to find connections with new parents that are going through similar experiences? Have you sought guidance or advice from sister moms? This app can introduce you to the people who are going through things just like you. Download the app for free today. Just head to peanut.app.link slash raising good humans or find it on your app store. That's peanut.app.link slash raising good humans. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. And I'm Andana Dayani. We decided to create a podcast to introduce you to the people who inspire us most. These are the dissenters. The people who just made a decision one day to break down the establishment and build a new one. In the greatest times of grief or even the most ordinary of circumstances, many heroes will rise. You just have to take that first step. So please tune in. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. There are heroes everywhere. Discover them. Become one. I think as a couple too, one of the things that we had to come out and we were talking about this privately with a, with a group of friends was like as a new parent or maybe as a man of a, of a female child, like this new light enters your life and all of a sudden out of nowhere, you are like immediately in love, or at least I was with this child. And it's like, it's, it's kind of like when you get into a new relationship, you're just smitten. Yeah. And like, that's what happened. And what you forget is like, okay, you can have that feeling and it's new and it's exciting and you're always going to feel it. But what happens, like what happened to us, like, okay, don't forget about my wife and the yeah. person that made it possible. But for like three, four months there, you're like, okay, maybe I'm giving too, like I was giving too much attention to the baby because there's this new exciting thing. And like, we had to work to get back to each other. Like and noticing each other. Yeah. And and I think we're there. It took a long time, six, well, six, seven months. And we're still like, it's a process. But I think if I wasn't, like I started having to be really conscious of it. Like, oh, maybe like, it's okay to love this baby so much, but don't, not at the expense of forgetting my wife. Um, not that I was trying to, it's just like this new thing that I'd never experienced before. And I don't think a lot of couples think about it. They're like, oh, here's a baby. And like, this is our new norm. And you just accept it. Yeah. But like, you really have to work at the relationship to keep it strong because I think that helps the child. It, it definitely helps the child. I mean, you were talking about, you had a model for parents that were together for 35 years, are together for 35 years. Yep. That's, you know, that's had an impact on you. It's easy to get off it though when you see that, like, you know, like, of course, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I just love this kid. And you put the, the full focus and you have to constantly work. Okay, like, it's great to have the baby and you love it, but don't forget like where it came from. One of my favorite mentors, Ed Milet, he's been married for like 30 years. He has two kids and he told us the best advice. He says that he 
when he's alone in the car with his kids and they're driving, he just talks so highly of his wife in front of them, how much he loves her, like how beautiful she is, um, just really praises her in front of them. And I think that that on both ends, like for both parents to be complimentary and um, express how grateful they are to have the partner in front of the kids is it's a strong example. You see so many parents that are bashing their significant other, whether they're divorced or together Mm -hmm. in front of their kids. And for us, like, I really hope we don't go that route. Well, yeah. I mean, how you, the relationship that you have with your daughter and the relationship with it that she witnesses will be what she seeks out when she's an adult seeking relationships. I mean, not to put pressure on it, but it has an impact. That is very true. That's probably why. And how, like, how correlated is that when you Highly. Highly correlated. (laughs) Well, think of if you think about it, everybody has a sense of what's home to them, what feels like home. You might not have a conscious sense, but there is some sense to you about what feels what what you associate with home. And that comes from those early years. And you spend your life seeking comforts that replicate what home was like, which is why in good ways and bad ways, which is why if you don't come to terms with if you had an unhealthy home, you'll tend to look for the same experience for your new family, your adult family. And so you always want to think, what is home to me? And is that healthy? And the healthy home you want to continue to replicate. And also you are counting on the fact that that's with the assumption that you're even going to be aware of it. But if home to you are parents that were kind to each other and speaking highly of each other and affirming each other's importance in each other's lives and respect and love. And someone spoke to you with empathy and respect and love. That's your expectation of how others should treat you and how you should treat them. And the reverse is true as well. So it's, it's a, it's very um, correlated and it makes sense if you think about it, because these are, those early years are the things that we don't, we are unaware of, but they have shaped us. Well, I think conversations like this are helpful because even as like a man in a relationship, if I hear and I'm aware of like, okay, I'm setting an example for my future child who's going to go and seek out a man of this type That's or that right. type, mm-hmm. it actually checks you a little bit. Like you're not going to lose your temper. You're going to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, these, these conversations aren't at the forefront of so many things. And so people don't know and they repeat behaviors. But if you're conscious, like, hey, don't repeat that cycle you can maybe check yourself a little bit earlier. It's not easy, but... It's not easy. And you don't have to do it 100% of the time. It's just the being conscious of it and saying, huh, before I speak to my partner like that, is this the voice I want my child to seek out when she's an adult? And those kinds, or the person or the relationship, and those things do help you stop and take a breath and make different choices than you would if you weren't conscious of it. So maybe I shouldn't have called you a fucking asshole in front of her the other day. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, you, do you know what she's, you might have. It was a slip. But that's what I was going to say is I always say, like, throw out, I used to say when I first started, throw out 25% of what I say or what any expert says because it's ridiculous. But now I'm like, if you keep 25%, that's great <laughs> because it just helps. It's just an awareness. And then you'll see that these little, you make little changes and conscious choices. That's enough. And the rest, of course, we're human. We're going to. We're going to call people those things. I don't know if there's, is there cursing on raising good humans? That's good to keep in mind, though, with what you're saying, with how we show up in front of our children, that they are absorbing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's also 
to go back to the other part of the conversation about your body, it's also when we're going through the process, which I, we, you, you cannot go through that metamorphosis without thinking about the changes in your body, how you speak to yourself should, well, I don't like to use the word should because that's sort of obnoxious, but ideally using a voice that you imagine your Zaza would use on herself if you could hear her when she grows up, that's the voice we should be using with ourselves when we talk about our bodies and when we talk about our relationships. Because that inner voice, even if nobody can hear you, it's that, look how quickly I adapted to LA, but it is that energy. It's that, it's physics, you know? So when you're talking to yourself about what you should or shouldn't be doing with your body or how it's looking or any of those things, it's using a voice. And it's not to say that you shouldn't reach for a peak or try to do better, but it's just using a compassionate voice. And it's easier to think about that voice when you imagine like, is this the voice I want Zaza to use? Because they pick up on these things. And so part of why becoming a parent changes your brain is because all of these things come into play and you can be aware of them and make you're motivated to change things about yourself that you never would have given attention to before. God, there's so much to do. I know. Oh, but you know what? <laughs> most of it, but most of it's like awareness. And yes. then like the, it's not actually stuff. It's like a lot of it is just take a breath and check in. <laughs> and also I think observing your thoughts. Mm -hmm. I've been really trying to do that. I'm I'm like stepping outside myself and looking at myself as I'm thinking. Yeah, and, and it's not judgment. You're not hating yourself for thinking those thoughts. You're just making an observation. Oh, there are those thoughts. Shauna Shapiro, who's a psychologist, uh, mindfulness psychologist um, that I've had on the podcast a couple of times, and she's a friend. She has a really beautiful practice that she does every morning. And I, I've fully copied it and I have my kids do it and half the time they roll their eyes, but she just, it's two seconds and she just puts her hand on her heart and says, good morning, I love you to herself. Good morning, like, good morning, Elisa, I love you. And she said, bear with me, try it for a month because, you know, it takes a while to get into new habits, but it's that same idea of like, we're wired to not take a moment for these positive you know, wake up and it's the first self-loving, positive thing that you do. And then having my kids do the same thing, it was so quick and easy. And it's very similar to observing the thoughts that you're having and kind of shifting them a little bit. But it was just like a new habit that was so sweet. And definitely I enjoyed how hokey my kids thought it was, but they still do it because it's funny and weird and it feels good. I love that. We should do that every morning. Okay. You can also put your hand on me and say, good morning, I love you. I was going to say, and the other thing to continue it is like, and you say good morning to all of the people that you want to put love out there to, like your partner and your child. And it's kind of cool. I can't wait to see you do it tomorrow. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird um, stage of life. Or not weird. I mean, everybody, everybody that has children go through it. But we were talking on our show and it was like, I thought that the reason I was reflecting so much, like, oh, maybe I'm getting older, but I didn't until we just talked, I didn't realize like, oh, maybe it's because now I'm thinking about it through the lens of how am I going to raise this child? Why am I the way I am? Like, what am I passing on? What is she passing on? Like, how are we doing? It's, it's a weird thing because I haven't self-reflected this much since maybe I was early, early 20s. Right. Like you just kind of like go through and you're like, oh, I'm just kind of getting by. And now I'm like, well, I'm getting hit in the face with all these ideas and thoughts that I never thought about before that have always been there. Yeah. It's cool. 
even though it's a lot and it's intense, it's very cool because I think it's like lifting a, a little bit of a cloud out of your head. But and, it's a lot though, because you're like, there's yeah. so much, like, I'm like, oh my God, there's a lot of things that I just haven't thought about before. And mm -hmm. I think her as well. And I think that's where people maybe sometimes struggle is like, there's so much information that has just been, it's been there for forever, but you just haven't reflected on it. Yeah. And you're trying to like, kind of analyze and figure out all of it. I mean, the good news is you're kind of born at the same time as your kid and as parents. So we're, you're, you're in infancy as parents and you get a whole life of learning these things and figuring these things out. So you don't have to do it all at the same time. I mean, part of this process is like, I have adolescence and I feel like an adolescent mom in that, you know, I've been through infancy. I've been through these different time periods, but this is a new one. And we, we really are doing it together in concert with our babies. That's the wild part too. Yeah. It's like you be, you, you're becoming a mom at the same time there. Like it's so, it's, it's trippy. It's re it really is. I mean, think, if you think about it, you know, at the hospital where I work, we have a, a sign where you come in to give birth and it just says parents are born here because that is the coolest thing. I mean, we're born at the same time and yeah. we're figuring this out. There's nothing more special. And I haven't had a second one, so I don't know if I can say this, though, than the, the first time you give birth. And it's such a new experience and it's like new knew everything. Everything's yeah. new. And being, I remember being with my husband and my daughter in that little room and just being like, that's like such a magical moment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like that every single time, but. You know, I mean, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so either. It's I don't. different. It's different it's because different, you, yeah. you know, I remember with my second, I was like, it was different, but it wasn't diminished. It was just different. It wasn't new. It was more like, so I so was able to be appreciative because it was less scary. So I was much more present probably, but I definitely didn't get the same like, you know. How do you feel when someone gives you a gift that isn't just bought off the shelf? Doesn't it feel so good when someone takes the time to personalize a gift and make it more meaningful. Isn't that kind of a fun way to have and share memories? And it's so much more fun to receive. These are the kinds of gifts we cherish. So Vistaprint specializes in these unregiftable gifts, gifts that are so personal to you that you wouldn't dream of passing them on. And the person that you're giving them to would be the only person that could appreciate something so specific and customized. One-off gifts like custom mugs and canvas prints, photo books, and wall calendars, they're the kind of thoughtful gifts you really can't wait to give because they spark so much surprise and joy. When you have children, those are the gifts, maybe puppies, those are the gifts that really feel so good. At Vistaprint, you can also create your own personalized holiday cards, adding photos and messages and special finishing touches. Um, so rather than giving any old thing, make it an unregiftable customized gift from Vistaprint. Go to vistaprint.com slash humans to get started on your unregiftable gift. The holidays are coming up. Don't miss your chance to get an unregiftable gift. Get started today at vistaprint.com slash humans.
I think, though, there's probably nothing more amazing than introducing your firstborn to your secondborn. That I, probably I, is a I big could mo- cry. Yeah, that's probably it. that's probably a special moment too. Mm-hmm. And then if you have more, it's like then you introduce them each time. Yeah, it's all special. It's all pretty cool. I mean, it's the so firstborn hard is pretty great though. I'm a firstborn, and so is Michael. Don't mean to brag. <laughs> I'm I'm a secondborn. Oh, sorry. So I no. It's just funny because the truth is, firstborns are usually higher. Uh, IQ and more. I mean, there are a lot of benefits in on paper, although I tell my sister, I'm like, oh, it didn't happen with us. <laughs> Fine. Um, well, it's because it's, you're experiencing the new thing. Like, it's like, how do you, I mean, and I, you want to be conscious of this. You have, and I have siblings too, so I think about this. I got to be careful what I say here. Don't listen. <laughs> my but, sister would never sit through a podcast. <laughs> but you know, uh, like, it's the first time you become a parent. It's the first time you see them do this or that. And so it's like, it's the first of everything. Yeah. And I think like, you know, you have to be conscious of waiting up others. And then what I always think about is then like when you have the baby, it's the last. That's what I think of myself right? with my, like with my parents. I'm like, well, but I was the baby. And so I felt so special. And then, you know, when we became adults, my sister was like, I assume you know that I was the favorite. And I was like, I assume you know that I was. So something that <laughs> happened was probably we both told whatever story we needed to be, you know, in that place. But when I look at both of my kids, I genuinely have no, I mean, there are days when you have a preference. Like I would rather hang out with one over the other because of their mood or whatever I want to be doing. But I, I, I'm shocked that I genuinely don't have a preference Overall, like I love them so much, so differently, but so equally. What are the traits of, if you just quickly summarized it, of baby, middle, firstborn? Most of these things are not actually, like the research doesn't pan out. But in general, we know, like, if you look at first children, you put as parents more into them. Once you've had multiple kids, you get first of all, a little bit more relaxed. And second of all, you just, it's a time thing. It's a resources thing. Like, I just don't have time to sit and do this with you. So they're going to be, maybe there's less one-on-one adult interaction for them, for their language development, for example, but there might be a more relaxed vibe, which helps them emotionally. I have a question for you. And I know this is your podcast, so I don't want to hijack it too much, but you know, Lauren and I talk about potentially having multiple children and who knows if we will or if we won't. But do you think, like we've talked about the eldest and baby and like the middle and like one thing that's top of mind because I have a middle sister, again, like I love her, but you know, <laughs> maybe she gets caught sometimes between eldest and youngest. Baby. And I think that's, that's very common in many families. Mm-hmm. And I've seen different parenting styles where some are like, it's going to be an all equal. In my opinion, that doesn't necessarily always work out because children are all different. different. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, I've also seen instances where like maybe that middle child kind of gets minimized or lost in between the eldest and the baby. Like, what do you tell parents that are experiencing that dynamic? Like, how do you not make one child feel left out? I mean, part of it is setting up expectations a little bit differently. Like things are not always equal and there's going to be times when each kid gets a different experience or privilege because one of them is older and can handle more and one of them just had, you know, the luck of the timing. And I think setting the expectation that it's not like, I'm going to make sure that each child feels like we're evenly distributing everything and nobody should have a different feeling just sets them up to not 
constantly look for the fairness of it all because it's just not going to happen. So somebody, especially likely the middle child, is going to bear the brunt of that because you're a little like you're old enough for a you know a grown up to say like, come on, take care of your baby brother or whatever. But you're younger than the oldest, so you might get the well. You can't because you're not old enough yet. And so it's it's not the it's not the dreamiest place to be. But if you set the expectations up that look, there are going to be benefits for all of you for being in this birth order that you're in. And there are going to be some moments when you think, ugh, I really got the raw end of the deal. But on balance, it'll even out. I also think like with kids, for me, I do not want to make my daughter comfortable all the time. Life is God uncomfortable. Bless. It's hard. You're not. It's not going to be smooth sailing all the time. Like you have to go out and you have to go make your own money and 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 put like use your work drive. Like I just think this whole movement about, you know, kids being comfortable all the time is bullshit. Yeah. It's, get uncomfortable <laughs> well, a little something, bit. It's yeah. something Lauren and I talk about all the time. We're both eldest children and well, adults now. And I think both <laughs> of us, like from both our parents, there's a lot of pressure from our parents for both of us to achieve. Like to go out, like you're on your own, you got to figure it out. You got to work hard. Like both early age had to work and get things done and figure things out. And then what we see with our siblings sometimes is maybe like, oh, there's a pass. And like in my own personal life, and if my family hears this, they do. It's kind of like, well, Michael, you had the opportunity and you were and you did this, and like sisters didn't have it. So I'm like, well, that's not setting them up for the real world because they're gonna get out there and the real world doesn't care who was the middle, who was the oldest, right. who was the youngest. And like they don't care if it's fair or not. Like life's gonna hit you in the face. And what I try to think about now with us is like, how do you, how do we not repeat that? And how do we make sure that all of the children, if we have them, are equipped to handle the real world and life as it comes at you? Because like Lauren said, like we had to get very uncomfortable for very long times to to get to where we are. But sometimes babies, I feel like, are middle, like they get a little bit more of a pass than what the parents put on some of the older kids. That is just in my experience. I don't know. No, I mean, I think that does happen. And and being uncomfortable is a really important part of being a resilient person. You don't want your child to learn about how to take those failures or those difficult moments from actual horrible, difficult moments. You want them to learn it when they have to give up their pacifier or when they can't have a cookie. Like those are the times that you want them to slowly build their skill at being frustrated and disappointed and uncomfortable. And over time, they recognize that they can get through those feelings so that by the time they're in high school, when you have no control over whether or not they're going to have a tough day or an easy day, that they can manage it. So I think it's a really important point and can change and shift depending on birth order for sure, um, but also temperament and all sorts of things. And it's just our, again, awareness as parents, like, being emotionally supportive is always important, but fixing the experience or the feeling is not only not important, but it's actually potentially really detrimental because then you go into the world and you're like, I don't recognize that I know how to handle this feeling. It's like what we talked about on our podcast, too, about death. Like, are you going to say that the hamster ran away? Or are you going to say yeah. that it ran into the street and it got hit by a car and it's no longer here? I think, <laughs> I mean, whatever, however you say it, I would say it a little did bit. Did that happen to you? It did happen to me, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it did happen to me. Oh, my dad I'm told sorry. me the hamster ran away. That's why I asked that question. My dad was trying to protect me. That's a little, that's a little story. But I think that as a parent, you like, like want to cushion death or any kind of adversity. And it almost 
ends up, like you said, harming later on. And the hamster is like a very little example. But I think it's important to have real conversations about the real world so they don't feel blindsided when they get out and experience adversity. I think it gets back to, we talked about how our parenting styles are different. Um, And I think sometimes maybe Lauren exaggerates my richness, but it's probably some truth to it. But we're both (laughs) very aligned on the fact that like we want the kid to develop some resiliency, like and develop, you know, feeling a setback and overcoming because both of us had to had to do that. And I, you know, I like, hope this kid will probably have a better uh, childhood than we did because, you know, like that's humans evolve and like we've gotten further and further along. But I, we think about and talk about all the time, like how do we not just protect her and shelter her from everything and like actually set her up so that if God, like if God forbid, Lauren and I aren't in the world at some point, like she can stand on her own two yeah. feet and experience what a setback is and, and overcome it. It's a, it's a, we're charged with a huge task, but that's like one of the things that is a real gift to kids is being able to sit with them through their discomfort and, and worse than uncomfortable, but sometimes real distress. And that's how you do it is that you're not afraid of that in these early years. You're not afraid of that discomfort and distress because you're confident that she can do it, that she can get through it. And then of course, when, I mean, she's six months old, you can give her a little bit of a break, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe maybe for another month or two. No, oh, <laughs> but it's all relative. So just the small things, but like at this age, it would be as she's learning how to crawl, let's say, when she's trying to reach for something, not just handing it to her, but letting, you know, pushing it a little close to her. So it's in reach, but just a little bit challenging. And so, of course, I'm not saying like, now you should pull her aside and be like, the hamster was run over. But over time, it, you know, it gets, you know, the challenges get bigger. And that's how we can start to, you know, take a breath and think they they have this. They were, they're going to be able to do this. And that message to them is so valuable. Like to know that your parents believe that you've got this, even though it's really hard, is so huge. Thank you for listening. And a huge, huge thank you to all of you listeners and community members of Raising Good Humans podcast. I have so much gratitude for you and I hope that you had a meaningful Thanksgiving. 